0: Part One, Chapters One through Four, of Anne Severn and the Fieldings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Anne Severn and the Fieldings by May Sinclair. Part One, Children, Chapter One. Anne severn had come again to the fieldings this time it was because her mother was dead she hadn't been in the house five minutes before she asked where's Gerald?" fancy they said her remembering and Gerald had put his head in at the door and gone out again when he saw her there in her black frock and somehow she had known he was afraid to come in because her mother was dead her father had brought her to wyck on the hill that morning the day after the funeral he would leave her there when he went back to india she was walking now down the lawn between the two tall men they were taking her to the pond at the bottom where the goldfish were it was gerald's father who held her hand and talked to her he had a nice brown face marked with a lot of little fine smiling strokes and his eyes were quick and kind you remember the goldfish anne i remember everything she had been such a little girl before and they said she had forgotten but she remembered so well that she always thought of mr fielding as Gerald's father she remembered the pond and the goldfish Gerald held her tight so that she shouldn't tumble in she remembered the big grey and yellow house with its nine ball-topped gables and the lawn shut in by clipped yew hedges then spreading downwards like a fan from the last green terrace where the two enormous peacocks stood carved out of the yew Where it lay flat and still under the green wall, she saw the tennis court. Gerald was there, knocking balls over the net to please little Colin. She could see him fling back his head and laugh as Colin ran stumbling, waving his racket before him like a stiff flag. She heard Colin squeal with excitement as the balls flew out of his reach. Her father was talking about her. His voice was sharp and anxious. "'I don't know how she'll get on with your boys.' He always talked about Anne as if she wasn't there. Ten's an awkward age. She's too old for Colin and too young for Elliot and Gerald. She knew their ages. Colin was only seven. Elliot, the clever one, was very big. He was fifteen. Gerald was thirteen. She heard Gerald's father answering in his quiet voice, You needn't worry. Jerry'll look after Anne all right. And Adeline? Oh, yes, of course, Adeline. Only somehow he made it sound as if she wouldn't. Adeline was Mrs. Fielding, Gerald's mother. Anne wanted to get away from the quiet, serious men and play with Gerald, but their idea seemed to be that it was too soon, too soon after the funeral. It would be all right to go quietly and look at the goldfish, but no, not to play. When she thought of her dead mother, she was afraid to tell them that she didn't want to go and look at the goldfish. It was as if she knew that something sad waited for her by the pond at the bottom. She would be safer over there, where Gerald was laughing and shouting. She would play with him, and he wouldn't be afraid. The day felt like a Sunday, quiet, quiet, except for the noise of Gerald's laughter. Strange and exciting, his boy's voice rang through her sadness. It made her turn her head again and again to look after him. It called to her to forget and play. Little slim brown minnows darted backwards and forwards under the olive-green water of the pond and every now and then the fat goldfish came nosing along orange with silver patches shining making the water light round them stiff mouths wide open when they bobbed up small bubbles broke from them and sparkled and went out anne remembered the goldfish but somehow they were not so fascinating as they used to be a queer plant grew on the rock border of the pond green fleshy stems with blunt spikes all over them each carried a tiny gold star at its tip thick cold juice would come out of it if you squeezed it she thought it would smell like lavender it had a name she tried to think of it stonecrop stonecrop suddenly she remembered her mother stood with her by the pond dark and white and slender anne held out her hands smeared with the crushed flesh of the stonecrop her mother stooped and wiped them with her pocket handkerchief and there was a smell of lavender. The goldfish went swimming by in the olive-green water. And sadness came over her again, sadness so heavy that it kept her from crying, sadness that crushed her breast and made her throat ache. They went back up the lawn quietly, and the day felt more and more like Sunday, or like, like a funeral day. She's very silent, this small daughter of yours, Mr. Fielding said. Yes, said Mr. Severn. His voice came with a stiff jerk, as if it choked him. He remembered, too. CHAPTER two: The grey and yellow flagstones of the terrace were hot under your feet. Gerald's mother lay out there on a pile of cushions in the sun. She was very large and very beautiful. She lay on her side, heaved up on one elbow. Under her thin white gown you could see the big lines of her shoulder and hip, and of her long, full thigh tapering to the knee. Anne crouched beside her uncomfortably, holding her little body away from the great warm mass among the cushions. Mrs. Fielding was aware of this shrinking. She put out her arm and drew Anne to her side again. Lean back, she said. Close, closer. And Anne would lean close, politely, for a minute, and then stiffen and shrink away again when the soft arm slackened. Elliot Fielding, the clever one, lay on his stomach stretched out across the terrace, he leaned over a book animal biology he was absorbed in a diagram of a rabbit's heart and took no notice of his mother or of anne anne had been at the manor five days and she had got used to Gerald's mother's caresses all but one every now and then mrs fielding's hand would stray to the back of anne's neck where the short curls black as her frock sprang out in a thick bunch the fingers stirred among the roots of anne's hair stroking stroking lifting the bunch and letting it fall again and whenever they did this anne jerked her head away and held it stiffly out of their reach she remembered how her mother's fingers slender and silk skinned and loving had done just that and how their touch went thrilling through the back of her neck how it made her heart beat mrs fielding's fingers didn't thrill you they were blunt and fumbling Anne thought she's no business to touch me like that, no business to think she can do what mother did. She was always doing it, always trying to be a mother to her. Her father had told her she was going to try, and Anne wouldn't let her. She would not let her. Why do you move your head away, darling? Anne didn't answer. You used to love it. You used to come bending your funny little neck and turning first one ear and then the other, like a little cat, and now you won't let me touch you no no not like that yes yes like this you don't remember i do remember she felt the blunt fingers on her neck again and started up the beautiful willful woman lay back on her cushions smiling to herself you're a funny little thing aren't you she said anne's eyes were glassed she shook her head fiercely and spilled tears gerald had come up onto the terrace colin trotted after him they were looking at her Elliot had raised his head from his book and was looking at her. It is rotten of you, Mater, he said. To tease that kid. I'm not teasing her. Really, Elliot, you do say things, as if nobody but yourself had any sense. You can run away now, Anne, darling. Anne stood staring with wild animal eyes that saw no place to run to. It was Gerald who saved her. I say, would you like to see my new buck-rabbit? Rather he held out his hand and she ran off with him along the terrace down the steps at the corner and up the drive to the stable-yard where the rabbits were colin followed headlong and as she went anne heard eliot saying i've sense enough to remember that her mother's dead in his worst tempers there was always some fierce pity chapter three mrs fielding gathered herself together and rose with dignity still smiling it was a smile of great sweetness infinitely remote from all discussion it's much too hot here she said you might move the cushions down there under the beech tree that eliot put it to himself was just her way of getting out of it to eliot the irritating thing about his mother was her dexterity in getting out she never lost her temper and never replied to any serious criticism she simply changed the subject leaving you with your disapproval on your hands in this eliot's young subtlety misled him adeline fielding's mind was not the clever calculating thing that at fifteen he thought it her one simple idea was to be happy and as a means to that end to have people happy about her his father or anne's father could have told him that all her ideas were simple as feelings and impromptu impulse moved her one moment to seize on the faithful defiant little heart of anne the next to get up out of the sun anne's tears spoiled her bright world but not for long coolness was now the important thing not anne and not anne's mother as for eliot's disapproval she was no longer aware of it oh to be cool to be cool again thank you my son eliot had moved all the cushions down under the tree scowling as he did it for he knew that when his mother was really cool he would have to get up and move them back again with the perfect curve of a great supple animal she turned and settled in her lair under her tree presently down the steps and across the lawn anne's father came towards her grave handsome and alone handsome even after fifteen years of india handsomer than when he was young more distinguished eyes lighter in the sallowish bronze she liked his lean eager deerhound's face ready to start off sniffing the trail a little strained leeched now john's eagerness but that was how he used to come to her with that look of being ready as if they could do things together she had tried to find his youth in anne's face but anne's blackness and whiteness were her mother's her little nose was still soft and vague you couldn't tell what she would be like in five years time still there was something the same strange quality the same forward springing grace before he reached her adeline was smiling again a smile of the delicate instinctive mouth of the blue eyes shining between curled lids under dark eyebrows of the innocent white nose of the whole soft milk-white face even her sleek dark hair smiled shining she was conscious of her power to make him come to her to make herself felt through everything even through his bereavement the subtle eliot looking over the terrace wall observed her and thought the mater is jolly pleased with herself i wonder why it struck Elliot also that a commissioner of ambala and a member of the legislative council and a widower ought not to look like mr severn he was too lively too adventurous he turned again to the enthralling page the student should lay open the thoracic cavity of the rabbit and dissect away the thymus gland and other tissues which hide the origin of the great vessels so as to display the heart europe the vet would show him how to do that chapter 4 his name's benji he's a butterfly smut said gerald the rabbit was quiet now he sat in anne's arms couching his forepaws laid on her breast she stooped and kissed his soft nose that went in and out pushing against her mouth in a delicate palpitation he was white with black ears and a black oval at the root of his tail two wing-shaped patches went up from his nose like a moustache that was his butterfly smut he is sweet she said colin said it after her in his shrill child's voice he is sweet colin had a habit of repeating what you said it was his way of joining in the conversation he stretched up his hand and stroked Benji, and anne felt the rabbit's heart beat sharp and quick against her breast a shiver went through benjy's body anne kissed him again her heart swelled and shook with maternal tenderness why does he tremble so he's frightened don't touch him Kalkal. colin couldn't see an animal without wanting to stroke it he put his hands in his pockets to keep them out of temptation by the way Gerald looked at him you saw how he loved him about colin there was something beautiful and breakable dusk-white face little tidy nose and mouth dark hair and eyes like the minnows swimming under the green water but Gerald's face was strong and he had funny eyes that made you keep looking at him they were blue not tiresomely blue blue all the time like his mother's but secretly and surprisingly blue a blue that flashed at you and hid again moving queerly in the set squareness of his face presenting at every turn a different Gerald. he had a pleasing straight up-and-down nose his one constant feature the nostrils slanted slightly upward making shadows there you get to know these things after watching him attentively anne loved his mouth best of all cross one minute only never with colin sweet the next tilted at the corners ready for his laughter he stood close beside her in his white flannels straight and slender he was looking at her just as he looked at colin do you like him he said who colin no benjy i love him i'll give him to you if you'd like to have him for my own to keep rather don't you want him yes but i'd like you to have him oh gerald she knew he was giving her benjy because her mother was dead i've got the grey doe and the fawn and the lop ear he said oh i shall love him you mustn't hold him too tight and you must be careful not to touch his stomach if you squeeze him there he'll die yes if you squeeze his stomach he'll die colin cried excitedly i'll be ever so careful they put him down and he ran violently round and round drumming with his hind legs on the floor of the shed startling the does that couch like cats among the lettuce leaves and carrots when the little rabbits come half of them will be yours because he'll be their father oh for the first time since friday week anne was happy she loved the rabbit she loved little colin and more than anybody or anything she loved Gerald. Yet afterwards, in her bed in the night nursery, when she thought of her dead mother, she lay awake, crying quietly, so that nobody could hear. End of part One, Chapter Four: Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.